Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Welcome to another edition of In Between with Holly Hudley and Bill Curley. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Jeff McDonald. Jeff, thank you for doing this. You know, I was thinking about how I wanted to introduce you last night before I went to sleep. And I, I quit after about 30 minutes because there's so much to say. You came here to St. Paul's in July of last year, got to go through the glories of our advent christmas season and you came in the midst of a 10 million dollar upheaval called a renovation bill it was a 10 million dollar renovation with what in the business they call creep that creeped up to about 13 and a half million dollars wow nine million of which was pledged and 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 you uh came into st paul's at that and then Three months into the new year, we hit the coronavirus, and then after that, all this unveiling of racial injustice. Now, this has been a baptism by fire for you. It, it's it's been a year. It has been a year. I think twenty twenty has has been a year in general, yeah. hasn't it? <laughs> the Albans Institute several years ago said the three most stressful jobs in the United States were to be the director of a hospital system the president of a university or the senior pastor of a multi-staff church in an urban setting. So what do you do to stay sane and to replenish yourself? Well, um, I, I don't know, Bill, if you have read it or Holly, if you have seen it, uh, an article came out about uh, two weeks ago um, in a Baptist publication, and the title of the article was Falling on the Sword, and it really is about, past, uh, uh, it was about uh, pastors during this time, and what a difficult, difficult time it is for pastors, Yeah, and, um, and they, uh, it, it, I, I would agree with what you said um, about, I, I mean, every, everybody, everybody is having a difficult time uh, in, in the midst of all this, but people who are in the business of caring for people, um, I think it's especially difficult. Um, and for pastors who's, who so much of what we do is interpersonal, it is, it's just a hard, hard time. So Listen, we just had a hard time with four of us making the call to go ahead and reschedule the Michael Morewood event. And so when we're and when you're in a leadership position and having to make decisions for kind of an entire group, <laughs> an entire body of people that is in the yeah. best interest of all of them, um, kind of it's difficult. Best interest to the least of these is the best interest yeah. of everyone, but it's hard to make that call. Yeah, I'm, I've been very thankful for the St. Paul's community uh, because um, by and large, our folks kind of get it, the dangers of meeting together. But I have, I have uh, siblings in the clergy who um, 
their churches are really beating them up for not gathering together um, all over the Texas area. I mean, really struggling because, you know, the, there's no such thing. The Corona's a fake. And uh, right after the election's over, the Corona is going to go away magically. And, and, uh, and so their, their lay people are really chewing on them about not being back in church, you know, or, or God's going to protect us from the Corona. And so I'm really thankful for our, our community that, um, that they have not pushed for that. I, I was talking with some friends uh, the other day in a Zoom call, and um, nowhere, nowhere have we read a story of a group that's decided to come back together and has celebrated that. Hmm. You know, no, no church, no, no university, no school, no sorority, no whatever. None of them have said, yeah, uh, we're just the heck with all this. We're going to gather together. And look, we got together and it was great. Mm-hmm. We've not seen that anywhere. In fact, this morning, uh, more universities are, are seeing uh, outbreaks, sororities that are quarantined. And I saw today where um, a high school football game that was supposed to happen on Friday night in Texas, you know, that's a... Mm-hmm. Texas tradition. Well, they've had to cancel the game because uh, several of the coaches and and players have tested positive. So I I can attest as being somebody who's on the St. Paul staff to the degree that I am, that it's really demanding work. And and Holly came up with the idea of doing this podcast as another way to have outreach to people in our community. Um, And I think people are hungry for this sort of thing is attested by the listenership that we've already garnered in the 12 weeks that we've been doing this. But I grieve not being able to see and be with people in ordinary life and people in worship. And do you have any idea when we could regather? Not to put you on the spot or anything, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. I'm looking for my crystal ball here, and uh, I seem to have misplaced it. I mean, we're we're gonna follow we're gonna follow uh, Dr. Boom and the medical community. Uh, he's been great through all of this, and and helping us out. Uh, and what he has talked about is is when the positivity rate falls below five, uh, that things can start to kind of open back up again. Uh, and you, last week we were up around 13, I think, uh, maybe down a little bit this week. Uh, I, I think the, the fear is that that hospitalization numbers have, have kind of stayed steady rather than continuing to go down. And so there's some fear in that. And, but I'm dancing all around. I'm certainly <laughs> being political, aren't I, Bill, and, and answering yeah. your question. Yeah. <laughs> I think the answer is we don't know. We don't know. I I think my understanding of our community of St. Paul's is that that we worship in a way that would be very difficult to do in uh, in a setting where we couldn't sing, uh, we couldn't pass the peace. we couldn't have responsive readings. We would have to limit the number of people in the sanctuary. 
Uh, and then how do you, you know, if you limit it to 75 people, what do you say to 76 and 77 and 78, you know? And, and so I, I, you know, the best answer, Bill, is I don't know, but I want us to move towards ways of, of finding ways to be together. And that may be uh, small group gatherings in people's backyards or out on the labyrinth. Uh, it may be that, um, that we find a way to open up the gym on Sunday mornings with, with spaced out seating, but we can broadcast the worship service in there for people who don't have a way to see it on a device that could come together to find safe ways to do that. So I think as soon as we, as soon as the numbers, the, the COVID numbers get down to a place where we can begin to move forward in that, we'll move forward as quickly as possible. So are you, are you willing to talk to us about what's going on in the United Methodist Church and deal with some of the rumors about the church is going to split and that sort of thing that we, some of us have heard. People want to know what what's happening. Okay. Yeah, uh, sure. Now I will preface by saying that, uh, that this is, this is Jeff's opinion on what's going to happen uh, because the truth is until we gather at general conference and vote, we don't know what's going to happen. So until that, until we actually sit down and take a vote, mm. we won't know. When is that? Uh, well, it was supposed to have been in May of 2020, but our friend Mr. COVID came along, and and that has now moved to August of 2021. Wow. So almost a year, uh, wow. a year from now. Now, but here's the thing, here's the caveat to this as well, though, is that um, are we going to be at a place in August of 2021 where the United States is ready to issue travel visas to people from all over the world? Mm. Because the General Conference is a global gathering of delegates, about 200 of which come from Africa. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, are we going to be in a health place where that can happen. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, we, we had Texas annual conference. We had that um, in a webinar a couple weeks ago and we're able to meet that way. But, but how do you have a global gathering of people in a webinar or zoom kind of meeting where you're talking about time zones around the world, you know, who's going to get up at two in the morning to go to their meeting, you know? So, uh, so I mean, it, 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 there's that, there's that problematic piece to it. And then, um, I would say that the level of trust within delegates to the general conference is not at a place where it would be easy to vote, Hmm. um, electronically like that without everybody being in the same room, without everybody being able to have discussion together. Mm-hmm. So Bill, all that is to say that, that anything between now and August of 2021 is strictly conjecture. Okay. So um, I do, prior to this May, uh, I, I strongly believe that the protocol was gonna be the best way forward. And I still believe that the protocol will be the best way forward. I have some 
worries that there are forces working to undermine the protocol and that that COVID and the postponement have given them more mm -hmm. time to strengthen. But I still believe that the protocol is the best way forward. And Bill, I think y'all and Holly, I think y'all talked about the protocol in class, didn't you? Do you want to summarize it really quickly? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think we did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the 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 protocol was put together by a wide range of United Methodist theological views from the furthest left to the furthest right, from the reconciling people to the confessing movement people. Uh, 16 of them gathered together and hammered out this protocol as a way forward for the church. And, and the premise of it is, is that, th that we can't live together anymore. We interpret the scriptures in such a way that we're not going to be able to stay all in one congregation, all in one denomination anymore, that, it, that some sort of divorce or split or schism is inevitable. But what's going to be the best way for us to move forward? And the protocol was that. And, and what the protocol does is say, basically, um, it leaves the United Methodist Church intact. And anybody that wants to stay a part of the United Methodist Church can stay a part of the United Methodist Church. But then it goes on to say that one of the first things that the United Methodist Church will do after the protocol is put into effect is to work on removing those parts of the discipline that are harmful, uh, especially to our LGBTQI community. That uh, one of the first things that would happen is that language would be removed that says that homosexuality is incompatible with the scriptures that would be removed. Uh, the the uh, restrictions on, um, on um, same-sex marriage would be removed and clergy performing same-sex, the, the, um, that, that being a violation, those things would be removed. So all that would, would be removed. And, and we, would, it, it, we would become a much more inclusive church. It, so even those who stay part of the United Methodist Convention agree to become more inclusive by removing that language. So correct. Okay, interesting. But but I, I but but this is what I would counter that with though is that it's it's not forcing individual churches or pastors to do anything that they don't believe is right for them. So uh, if you were a more conservative church, under the protocol, it's not forcing you to have same-sex weddings at your church. It's not forcing your pastor to do same-sex weddings. It's not saying that you're going to get a homosexual pastor in your church. None of that is, is, is forced upon anyone. Uh, individual churches still make those decisions, how they want to do things. Mm. But but the entirety of United Methodism becomes more inclusive. Well, there, as you are talking, there is um, a certain amount of sadness that comes up that there inevitably in communities that might identify as more conservative, there will still be those who are left out, who are closeted, who are um, forced sort of into the woodwork in, in, to participate. And so we create this sort of yeah. quiet, yeah. 
an acceptance, I guess, of something. It's like you, you're welcome here. It's um, it's a don't ask, don't tell kind of, kind of rule, right? That you're welcome here as long as you're not um, announcing your sexuality. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where we're living now is in a don't ask, don't tell world. Yeah, and 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 that that when those restrictions are removed from the discipline. Uh, it it will allow um, LGBTQI people to be ordained as clergy. It will allow uh, same-sex marriages, and and the and, and th- all those things are, like you said, closeted now. And so uh, we we have LGBTQI clergy who are serving, right? Uh, but they just they just they don't acknowledge mm-hmm. that. So yeah, like you say, they're closeted and having to, but this would open that up for them. In some communities where, where. In some communities. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that feels, you know, that's sort of, that's hard. That's hard to sort of say you can't openly walk into mm -hmm. any door, but only some doors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm sort of thinking this through in my brain too. Uh, I'm thinking, well, because I'm thinking, I'm thinking of of places that I have served prior to St. Paul's, uh, where uh, I, well, I'll, I'll say I'll tell you this: when when uh, when we found out we were coming to St. Paul's, a good friend of ours that's uh, on the Rumtex board, reconciling ministries board. Uh, he he called me and and he's we're we're good friends and he's known me a long time he knows my heart and all and and uh, he's called and said congratulations on going to St Paul's uh, you finally get to come out <laughs> and, and 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 so and vocal and support exactly of inclusion right. right right because things things that I can say here I could not say in in Nacogdoches and Chandler mm-hmm. and those places mm-hmm. uh so yeah so so uh so i i do think it's huge huge step forward um for the united methodist church when the protocol passes now there are those who who just for for whatever their religious beliefs they're not going to be able to get on board with a church that is inclusive that way and so the protocol sets aside money to start a new denomination um, uh, within the Wesleyan tradition, but is not United Methodists. And I don't know what they'll call themselves, you know, they'll, who knows, uh, but it'll be, it'll be a strain of Methodism that's, that's more conservative, more traditional in their thinking. And so the protocol sets aside money for that to happen. Mm. So, so there's, it, it makes for an easy out, for those churches that don't want to be a part of, you know, there's uh, John Wesley in his brilliance when when our system of Methodism was being set up. Um, we have what's called the trust clause, uh-huh. and the trust clause means that it, it's sort of what holds us together in connection. So uh, here at St. Paul's, uh, we pay all the bills and the mortgages and the revive payments and everything. But but our property, our building, our furnishings, all that stuff really belongs to the Texas Annual Conference. Right. And that's right. true with every every United Methodist Church in the world, uh, and 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 our institutions as well, like Methodist Hospital, 
uh, Southern Methodist University, uh, Lydia Patterson Institute, all those places ha have signed on with the trust clause, which means they're really owned by the conference. And it really was John Wesley's brilliance in keeping us connected because it's not, we can't just, we can't get mad and say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take my toys and start my own church because you can go start your own church. You just can't take the toys with you. Right. you know? And, and yeah. so, uh, so that's why, you know, when you're driving through East Texas and you go through town and these small towns and there's four different Baptist churches on every corner in town, you know, there's the first Baptist and the second Baptist and the, we don't get along with them Baptist and the, and such. Uh, and I don't mean to be picking on Baptist. That's so everyone picks on Baptist, including Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and he, is, he was Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's that old story about the, the guy on the deserted island that he'd been shipwrecked on the island for years and they finally come and saved him. And uh, there were, he had built three different huts on the island. And when they came and saved him, they said, you know, what are those huts? And he said, well, that, that first hut, that's my house that I lived in. And the second hut, that's the first church that I went to, but I didn't like it there. So the, thir the other th third hut is the church I go to now. So yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it's so fascinating that churches develop personalities just like people do. And I have had people say to me over the years of teaching here, you couldn't say what you say in ordinary life in most churches. And I know that's true. I think that's sad, but I know that's true. And I'm so grateful for the the ministers in the past, like John Fellers and Wayne Day and Jim Bankston and now you who have set a tone for worship and education and inclusiveness that has become so identified with the personality of St. Paul's to be, to be an open and inclusive and welcoming congregation. And I just think it's wonderful that, that we exist. It's a, it's a special place. And, um, I, I, for some reason, when people talk about St. Paul's, they, they talk about the space, you know, the space that St. Paul's is. There's something about the, the building. I know that there's some debate now about whether we should call it a cathedral or not. I'm going to keep doing that. But there's just something about it that seems, it, it to, seems warm and welcoming and inclusive. So I'm grateful to you for that. And, and, you know, St. Paul's is an interesting place because we, we really are pretty eclectic in our congregation. We, we, have, um, we have the full spectrum of theological, political, social views mm -hmm. within St. Paul's. I mean, there are, there are some uh, politically really conservative folks in our church, and there's some politically really progressive and liberal folks in our church as well. And I, I think that's great. It, it really, um, for me, that's what church is, is, is we, we don't all get along. We don't all agree. Uh, but, but while we may not agree on November 3rd, what's going to happen, we do agree that our, our job is to love God and love our neighbor. And, and when, when we get that right, everything else just kind of falls into place. Uh, and so I, I don't have to agree with you polit politically, but I do agree that we need to love God and love neighbor. So it's so it's interesting. So Jeff, you might not know this about me, but I've been at St. Paul since I was about 14 years old, um, and now I'm 44, so 30 years. Happy um, anniversary! And I'm, 
Oh, thanks. Almost as long as Bill. I think you came a couple years before I got baptized by Terry Thompson. Um, <laughs> but and but it, it St. Paul seems to walk this line. It does have a fairly traditional liturgical um, worship service, which feeds some of those who want that sort of traditional feel of church, but has, in my experience, had a more um, open message inside of that traditional service. And then we have um, classes like Ordinary Life, meditation classes, etc. And so it does, as you're saying, like feed, feed this wide spectrum of folks. And I always wonder, what is our job as community members and as leaders to kind of bring folks along towards embodying inclus- inclusivity? We can't force someone through a door they're not ready to go through. And how do we create the space to leave that door to keep kind of nudging? I don't know if that's even the right word, but creating the space for folks to really examine. Um, And both of everything that you've just said makes me think two things. Number one, the patience it must take for people like you and Bill to stay within a system and to kind of keep working within that system to keep expanding and meeting and opening. And number two, given where we are with COVID, with where the United Methodist Church is, the definition of church is changing. What is church? And I know Bill has really grieved not being in the place, in the building, in the church. Um, I wonder how that is for you. And what do you guys think this new idea, this new vision of church can be? And does it have any benefits? Yeah, Jeff, I appreciate you weighing in on this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to let you go first. <laughs> uh, I, I, okay. I, I, Age I before think, beauty. I, I, <laughs> I think I'm able to embrace age and beauty at the same time. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I think that there are some things that we will never go back to. And I think Mm -hmm. that we're learning in this time that there are ways, like, for example, with this webinar that we've now postponed with Michael Morwood until the 10th of September, uh, we had almost 180 people signed up. We have almost 180 people signed up for this. And I think we will get more. So I think our opportunities for outreach and education using electronic means are just, we're just beginning to understand what we can do about that. Um, I was gonna ask you, Jeff, um, since we have the resources, and if you had a magic wand and we could get some other speakers to come to St. Paul's, be represented by St. Paul's, or sponsored by St. Paul's to be uh, speakers or to offer educational opportunities for us. Who would you like to see us have here? We we've had Nadia Boltz Weber in the past, haven't we? Well, the annual conference, uh, the Reconciling Congregation Movement had her speak at a meal, but we I don't think we had her at the church. We should. Okay. Nadia Boltz Weber, if All you're right. listening, please come. <laughs> Do, uh, I, I'll, I'll reach out to her and see if she'd be open to do that. I would be happy to do that. Uh, I think you know that when 
we started this, I was really disheartened about not being able to have people come in person. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to be able to have more people. And I'm really excited about what we're having in the fall when Dr. Jackie Lewis is going to mm -hmm. present her anti-racism uh, seminar all day for us on a Saturday. That's going to be great. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think, uh, and Holly, to answer your question and kind of circling what Bill said, I, I think what we've, what we'll learn is that um, we've got to do both pieces really well. You know, one of uh, one of the things about St. Paul's pre-COVID is we did worship really well. We did traditional worship really, really well. What we've had to learn is how do we do streaming worship and do it well. And post-COVID is going to mean that we have to do both really well. Because the big question will be, you know, I mean, once once you've... Uh, been to church out on the patio with mimosas how how in the world are we going to get people back in the right. again you know and long pants back on again and you know uh so so we're or gonna, just pants on period i think to. with zoom pants are <laughs> optional so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that new snickers commercial where the guy comes out uh oh that's think great it's a zoom meeting and it's not you know. so yeah so i th i think one of the things that we'll pick up and tim is working on this already is that that our our level of streaming worship when we're in person again is going to be a hundred times better than what it was pre-COVID. Yeah. I mean, we've already invested money in cameras mm -hmm. and and how they move around and our ability to to shoot those to stream that out. And so, um, once we are back in person, you're still going to get an amazing worship experience at home if you're not able to be here. So I think that's one thing we've learned. And the regathering plan talks about uh, what do we need to what do we need to stop? You know, what has COVID taught us that these aren't really fruitful things that we're doing? And I think we're going to have to look at every ministry and see, um, if, if, is this really fruitful? Is this really loving God and loving neighbor? And uh, what do we maybe need to leave behind? And what do we need to pick up? What are some new things that we need to do? Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, one of the things that Holly and I are speaking to in Ordinary Life right now is uh, we're trying to bring the teachings of Jesus to bear on not only how to live during this time of pandemic, um, to deal with people's anxiety and their sense of loss. Many people have lost jobs, they've lost loved ones, they are, have uncertain futures and all of that. So I'm rereading the Sermon on the Mount in light of that. And now in light of the unveiling, Holly calls it the apocalypse of systemic racism. Well, apocalypse in Greek, which you probably know, Jeff, is, a, is rolling back. It's revealing. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see and what do you need to be supported in a, in a ministry of dealing with racial injustice or racial issues of racial justice for St. Paul's, because the demographic of St. Paul's is not, um, we're not highly racially mixed congregation. So 
Well, we're, yeah, there's a lot of ways that we're not, not real diverse. Um, when, uh, when we lived in, in Sugarland, uh, we, our church there, every year we built a habitat house. Uh, eight, we spent eight Saturdays a year and different groups volunteered. But uh, every Saturday, uh, and you all know about habitat, you know, the homeowner has to put in sweat equity hours and all. And, and so, so in those eight Saturdays, we would get to know the family that was moving into that house. But there was also a program uh, at the prison in Sugarland, one of the prisons in Sugarland called Interchange. And it was, uh, it was the last 18 months of, of a man's sentence in prison. And they would come and they would apply to be a part of this program. And they would learn life skills, how to balance a checkbook, how to fill out applications, how to get a job, you know, how to find a place to live. But they also did disciple Bible study in that and, and all. And um, there was uh, every Saturday, there was a lucky group of them that uh, they got to come and work on that habitat house with us. And so uh, the members of the church got to know those guys pretty well. And uh, so well that when they got out, sometimes they would come and live with some of those people because you know when you get out of prison in texas you get like 30 dollars in a bus ticket or something yeah. like that and uh and so uh you talk about relationship building you talk about living out the gospel i mean that's that's where that was happened so so i think what's what's gotta happen here at saint paul's too is that we have got to get into the business of relationship building with people outside the walls of the church mm -hmm. so i want to ask you a really personal question Holly, you're going to ask Holly a really personal question? Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you. It looks like what our do you do time for is fun? up. Yeah. What do you do for fun? Uh, uh, Lene and I run. Mm -hmm. when, we, when we lived in Nacogdoches uh, and Chandler, we had a pretty good-sized yard. And on Friday, we would do yard work and uh, we would mow the grass and pick up the leaves. We had magnolia trees in the yard. And so we always had magnolia leaves to pick up. And, uh, and, and for, for me, for us, that was really therapeutic. People don't like yard work, but it was therapeutic for, for us because you can see progress. A lot of times in church work, you don't see progress. I'm laughing because if you have heard Bill Curley say the number of times I've heard Bill <laughs> Curley say, I don't do yard work. It was an agreement in his marriage was he would never do yard work again. Yeah. Well, and so now, so we, we live, right. uh, we live vertically now and uh, our, our yard, our backyard, it, it takes us about five minutes to mow the backyard and get, so, so that that's done. So, so I'll, Pre-COVID on Fridays, we would get up and go somewhere like Allen Parkway or Memorial Park and do a little bit longer run. And then we'd go have breakfast somewhere and just kind of piddle around for the day. I mean, that was nice for us. We still do a long run on Fridays, but now we pick up breakfast and take it back to the house and eat it. Uh, so I, I, that time together, uh, it's fun for us. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other things that we've been talking about as we talk about broadening the definition of church is also broadening the definition of God. 
Uh, and I would love for you to say, when you say love God and love your neighbor, what do you think of when you say love God and who is your neighbor? Um, you know, it's interesting you would ask that. Uh, yesterday I had to duck out of staff meeting because I did a, a little kind of a, a, a podcast, uh, although it was aired live with uh, the Minaret Foundation. And they're doing a study, not just of other denominations, not just other religions. They've kind of drilled that down and they're doing a study of Christianity and then denominations within Christianity. So we had this little discussion about what Methodism is. And, and, uh, but in the end, we talked about uh, our common ancestry is that, that Christians, Jews, Muslims, we all share the same God. Uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, that's, that's our God as well. So I think um, loving God is loving the creator of all of us and of all creation. Um, and our neighbor is, you know, like Jesus said, is who's, who's around us. I, what on my heart in, at St. Paul's, when I think about loving neighbor, I really would like to see us do some deeper things for the homeless. Um, I can, uh, it's, it's quarter to 11 and I can look out my office and in about 15 minutes, I can look out the window of my office. I'm pointing out the window uh, and I can see literally hundreds of people making their way to Abraham station. Uh, you know, they, they are giving out four to 500 sack lunches a day now. Uh, and and some way for St. Paul's to connect more meaningfully with those folks. Uh, th for me, I mean, that's that's kind of a dream that I have and would like to see something happen in that. What would that look like? I mean, you have a platform here to speak to people who are incredibly generous with their money and um so if what how does that dream show take shape what what's the fruit well, of that dream? i what talked about do? it in a sermon a few weeks ago and and i said you know it's and when we're back when we're back in person worship again what would it look like to um to have folk people and i, I know there are times that people at st paul's work over there at the emergency aid coalition but what if that were Sunday morning was St. Paul's time and we handed them a sack lunch and said, uh, why don't you come over, come sit with me and worship today. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to say, Hey, we're having church over there, but it's another thing to say, Hey, come sit, come sit with me yeah. at church. Rudy Rasmus and Juanita Rasmus down at St. John's downtown, as well as the Galveston, I think it's a Galveston Methodist church. Yeah, Central Methodist, Michael yeah. Dagger is the pastor. Yeah, they both have a strong, it might be, it'd be a fun collaboration to yeah. inquire with them what are, what's working and how are you increasing your, your ministry to mm -hmm. include homeless folks? I love that vision. And that's a real way to say, um, what do you really mean when you say neighbor? Right? Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. It's a yeah. tool to do. I was going to ask Jeff if he uh, had any requests for us. What do you need to for us to support your ministry better at St. Paul's? You, you all are doing great stuff 
in the ordinary life. I'm just, I'm impressed with you all. And, and Bill, since I got here, you've been saying, come teach, come teach. And I keep saying, okay, I will. And, uh, and I will, uh, we'll get beyond the podcast and I'll, I'll be in person over there at some time. And, uh, uh, I, I think, um, there's a great, le- I, I see a great level of commitment in the ordinary life people and, mm. um, and, and, and faithfully living out who we're mm. called to be. And I appreciate that. So I just had this thought listening to you and looking at you say that one of the things that I grieve and will be so grateful for when we can, when I can walk down the communion rail and look in people's faces and share communion with people that I miss so much. Mm -hmm. That's something I still grieve. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, what, in following up on your desire for homeless ministry, I just read a line that said, um, Jesus wanted God to be like a river and be pervasive in all things throughout the world, you know, just kind of open up the floodgates and yeah. Yeah. Let that river wash over you. I'm really grateful to Holly for, you know, when we started this, I, I, you don't know this, Jeff, so I would just tell you that historically, I have taken like a month off in the summertime or the fall and gone on pilgrimage somewhere. And like last year, right after you came to St. Paul's, we went on another Compostela pilgrimage with Peter Sills. I remember and that. That was a a wonderful trip and it was a miserable trip because we were there at the height of the the heat wave in France and Spain. It was just awful, but we had some wonderful experiences. And um, Peter, I, I hope someday you get to meet him. He makes sure that we had at least two worship experiences every day somewhere along the way in these beautiful cathedrals and abbeys and monasteries and it was really a a wonderful thing and during the times that i would be gone over the last several years holly would just take over and teach a class or get speakers (laughs) to do it and then we fell into this rhythm of co-teaching every month together Mm -hmm. and so when it started in March that we weren't going to be able to gather. I said, Holly, would you co-teach with me for a couple of weeks? This will be over in two or three weeks. Yeah. And so she has continued to do it and it's been very helpful. She brings a wonderful perspective to uh, the Gospels. Thanks. I am not a Jesus scholar. As I said last week, I'm a Jesus student, but so I'm teaching next to someone who is He's the scholar. <laughs> well, I love to. I love. Well, you know, Holly, that's really where we all ought to be. You know, this this Sunday, um, I'm preaching on Matthew again, where uh, uh, it's really a, a turning point in Jesus's ministry, in that uh, mm-hmm. he it, it's where he begins heading toward Jerusalem. You know, he he says he, it, the scripture says he turned his face toward Jerusalem, so it's a different part but it's that it's that passage where peter says oh you know that can't be that you can't be gonna die and and jesus says get get behind me satan Mm -hmm. and it's really kind of a harsh thing for jesus to say 
but I had, you know, I had to think what Jesus was saying is if you're a disciple, mm-hmm. you're a follower of someone, you know, we're followers of Jesus as disciples of Jesus. So, so our place is, mm-hmm. is in following mm-hmm. the leader, not trying to teach yeah. the leader. So, so exactly what you said. Yeah. That's, that's who we all are. We're yeah. all. Yeah, absolutely. Learners. I think Jesus probably was not aware he was speaking to the first Pope when he called him <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it really is, I, you know, I just love doing the studies of, uh, like, for example, digging really deep yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in light of our current context. It's one of the things that makes what Jesus has to say so powerful is that our circumstances change, our understanding changes. And, and so the teachings remain the same, Mm -hmm. but they also grow in profundity as we deepen our own spiritual awareness. And uh, why it's like, wow, wow. I hadn't seen this before. This is, it makes it exciting. And also, I mean, we just in comparing Buddhism to Christianity, both are about being of the bodhisattva mind, being of the Christ mind. So in some ways, what is the Christ within us that is also evolving, transforming, and continue, continuing to open those doors, right. I think. You know, how does, how does, how do these words from so long ago apply today? And how do we continue to, yeah. to recreate them, I think? Well, Jeff, thank you for your time. I love you. I'm glad you're at St. Paul's. Um, <laughs> Nice to yeah. be with you, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks so much. It has been great, Holly. Let's do this again sometime. Hey, we'll okay. take you up on that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. All right. Talk to you.